Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Mark Kramer. I'm the host of The Best Business Minds, and I welcome you all to another interesting interview today. Uh, today we have Dr. Laura Sokola, who is the uh, present CEO of Vocal Impact Productions. But before I introduce Laura, I would like to introduce our two sponsors. Uh, one, John Custer from Custer & Custer. And John, if you could give us a um, little bit of information about your firm. Thank you, Mark. Uh, at Custer & Custer, we provide legal expertise to entrepreneurs and businesses. From issues of ownership of the business to contracts and financing, our work is tailored to your needs and budget. We provide peace of mind, allowing you to focus on what you do best. Awesome, awesome. And uh, Matt Butler from uh, the founder CEO of Compass Clever Communications. Matt? Thanks, Martin. Good morning, everyone. Compass Clover Solutions works with middle market and Fortune 500 companies. In business, we spend a lot of time thinking about our problems and talking about our problems. But most of us, including your employees, are visual learners. So wouldn't it be easier to solve our problems if we could actually see them? That's why we created our proprietary visual imaging process, to help you literally see your problems, and from that come your greatest opportunities for improvement. We work with your internal subject matter experts, helping them to clearly see how to improve their efficiency, increase sales, and most importantly, to increase profits. We're so confident in our process that we're always willing to take our compensation as a portion of your savings and increase profits. So if you want to reduce organizational stress and improve your competitive position, please give us a call. Thank you. Matt, thank you very much. So Laura, welcome. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here today. Uh, could you tell us about your consulting firm and why you started it? Sure. Uh, the, my company is Vocal Impact Productions. Uh, we do one-on-one -on -one executive communication, coaching, team training, and speaking engagements. And the simple fact is that leaders are not just about having good technical skills. Right? If you're trying to get to the top or you're already there, the only way to truly be effective is to know that others truly get it, that they get the vision, they get your message, they get what you want, and they're following you voluntarily as a leader, not just because you're the boss and they're punching a clock and cashing a check. And that's such a huge difference. And the ability to communicate effectively is really what will make or break that distinction in the end. So that's what I want well, to help people do. So I have a whole bunch of questions for you about <laughs> okay. this. But before we start with this, uh, you're, you did very well on TEDx. You had over 6 million people. And everybody always asks, how do you get on TEDx? How were you selected? And what was that experience like? Oh, it was terrific. Um, so there's two ways to get asked to, to get a TED oppor TEDx opportunity. Um, one is you simply get invited. And fortunately, uh, the talks that I've done, I was invited for them. The one that has 6 million views was at TEDx Penn at the University of Pennsylvania. And it just so happened I was teaching graduate school there. And one of my students was the curator for the conference that year. And every year there's a theme. You, you never know this if you're just watching a TED Talk, but every conference has a specific theme to it. And the theme to the TEDx Penn conference that year was quote unquote, creating the sound. It's always something really abstract and nebulous like that. So that whether you're in engineering or linguistics or whatever else, you'll find a way to get your people to, to gel around that theme. And so she knew my work was in speech and leadership communication and that kind of work. So she thought it would be a great fit. She said to me, hey, would you want to do, a, do one of the talks for our TED conference this year? And I thought, 
sure, that sounds like fun. And that was as, as uh, complicated as yeah. it got. And then all of a sudden there's 6 million hits. Um, most people, when, there's a, uh, when people are preparing to pr put on a TEDx conference, they'll put out a call for speakers. And then you have to submit a proposal. They give you a couple of weeks to do that. And then they'll look through the proposals and the curators will then start narrowing it down to figure out uh, who they want to give the opportunity to. And then they'll let you know if you got it or you didn't. So it's pretty competitive. I, I listen to a lot of TEDx's uh, every morning when I'm riding my bike. They typically are about 15 minutes long. Is that how long you spoke for? Yes. Um, they, so depending on the conference and depending on your topic, TED Talks can rain, range anywhere from three to 18 minutes. 18 is the top. Um, I didn't need that much time for it. Uh, they did give me the 18 minute total window. Uh, but the shortest ones, like I said, I've, I saw one once that was three minutes and it was about how to tie your shoes. It was actually pretty creative, but um, the, you know, you'd think you know how to do that by the time you hit, you know, kindergarten, but apparently there's more to learn. So that's, that was a three minute talk, but typically they're somewhere between, you know, 10 and 15. Excellent. Excellent. So you've written two books. One is called Maximizing Your Leadership Influence, Command the Room, Connect with Your uh, Audience. Close the deal. Everybody can appreciate that. Your sure. most recent book is called Speaking to Influence. Why did you write these books and who are they intended for? Really, they're for anybody who wants to have more influence. We all have that, that same frustration where we just think, in my head, everything makes sense. And I know what I mean, and I know why I'm right, and I don't get why when I talk, people don't just listen, get it, and just do what I'm telling them to do. Right? We all wish that that happened a little bit more. So yes, there are external challenges that get in the way of getting more yeses, whether it's about, okay, there's budget issues or time crunches, or there's sure all the isms, racism, sexism, all those kinds of biases that get in the way. And we'd love to blame all those things for why we're not more influential and more effective. I don't touch any of those. The fact is there's the other bucket and those are the internal factors that keep us from getting more yeses. And those are all the things that we do that get in our own way through the way that we speak. So my job through these books is to help people identify the blind spot. And that's the gap between how I want to come across and maybe how I think I come across. Like, all right, I know I'm not perfect in this way. I could work on this, work on that a little bit. But then there's how I actually come across. And that's the biggest gap between those first two and that last one. And that gap is your blind spot. And you know you've had it because you've, we've all had those moments when maybe we see ourselves on, on an selfie video or a video someone took of us and we watch that video two minutes after it was recorded and we go wow that sounded a lot better in my head or we think oh my gosh what was I doing with my face or who let me out of the house wearing that or you know all these different things and it's like well you were there when you said that so why are you surprised at what it sounds like when you see it on video later there is a gap, that blind spot. So my job is to help clients recognize where what they're projecting, what they say and how they say it is not actively uh, projecting and conveying what they need it to project for that audience. Whoever the, I use the word audience very broadly. The audience is anybody you're talking to, one to one, one to a thousand, doesn't matter. But how do you convey your message in a way that's still authentic to you, but is going to, allow them to hear it in a way that they can hear it, process it, understand it, retain it, and get it. And that's not always identical from audience to audience. You can't just blurt whatever's in your head and assume that they will get it as a result. You really have to craft both the content and the delivery of the message. 
I, I have seen some really well done presentations and I saw a presentation with such a train wreck in front of investors as we you know, all have. Venture fair, that I, I was wincing and had to turn away. I mean, it was like really seeing a car accident happen. And this person was somebody who went to a prestigious business school. They were in their 50s. You would expect them to be more polished. It wasn't their first venture that they were ever pitching. And yet it was dreadful. Yes. So how does somebody stay calm in the moment when they're presenting and what, they sh what should they be thinking about as they're making their presentation? Are we talking specifically about uh, like investment pitches or any Well, let's talk about that first because we have a lot of entrepreneurs who are listening and, and, and my question is how can entrepreneurs uh, use communications as a way to attract investors and motivate employees? Sure. Well, I mean, look, investors all share the same philosophy, bet the jockey, not the horse. Right. You, so it doesn't matter how awesome your business plan looks on paper, how great your concept is. You can have supermarket research. But if you don't project the authority, the confidence, the I can do this as the CEO, as the founder of that company, that makes the investor believe in you, believe that you can get that course across the finish line first, then it doesn't matter. So if you're a human train wreck with a really awesome business plan, just leave, right? So it, it's, you really have to practice your delivery. You have to prepare, prepare for questions, prepare for how you're going to engage with your slides. You can't just create them and assume that that's enough. You have to interact with your slides in a certain way. And that's a whole other issue that we can talk about. Um, but knowing your material cold on an investor pitch, there is no excuse to not know your material cold. You should be able to do it inside, outside, backwards, and upside down. There's uh, and that does not mean that you have to memorize a script. It does mean that you have to rehearse. There is a big difference, and this goes to for any presentation, between it, most people create this sort of false black and white dichotomy that either I memorize a script verbatim or I wing it. I talk extemporaneously off the cuff. And that is the worst mistake to make is to assume that it's one or the other because most people are not good at writing scripts in the first place. So if you try to memorize a speech that you have written out and try to go verbatim, somebody asks you a question in the middle of it, interrupts you, you're off your track, you're doomed because then you forgot where you left off and you can't pick up again. So memorizing a script, number one, is dangerous for that reason, but also because you weren't taught to write dialogue. You weren't taught to write natural speech. You were taught to write reports, to write proposals, to write email, to write all sorts of stuff. And you can do it more formally or less formally. But even so, if you script out everything and try to memorize it and recite it, I guarantee it is not going to sound like you, even if you're the one who wrote it. It's not gonna sound like you talked. It will sound like a fifth grader reciting is what I did on my summer vacation essay. And right there, you're not going to come across as confident and authentic and able and that's where you miss, you mentioned, Mark, the, the subtitle of my first book, which is really the, the fundamental three principles of everything that I teach. In, in vocal executive presence, the goal is to master the three C's, to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. If you're memorizing a what I did on my summer vacation essay and trying to recite it mechanically, you're not commanding anything and you're not connecting with anyone. So you'll never close a deal. You know, I, I always uh, worry when I'm even coaching people in my marketing practice at, for them to come off, as you say, authentic uh, and not come across as plastic because often you see people who are coached and even their movements look robotic. 
or, or they have to read a script. Like every time I watch uh, Senator Chuck Schumer from New York, it seems like unless somebody hands him a piece of paper, he has no, nothing to say. I mean, whatever. That's probably his lawyers them. controlling, like, do not go off script. I don't care if you sound good or not. You will not deviate from every legally approved stamped word in the script. That's a whole different ballgame. I, I, and he looks not very bright uh, when you're watching him uh, because of that. You know, he can't think off his feet. And I think that happens when you watch presenters, whether it's uh, entrepreneurs trying to raise capital or CEOs presenting uh, their vision of the company and so forth. So how do you make sure that you come across as authentic and not overly rehearsed where it looks like it's all staged? Um, there's a lot of things in part. So there's overly rehearsed and there's overly scripted. So public people who are professional public speakers, uh, there's a general rule of thumb that you should rehearse at least seven times as a base. And that doesn't necessarily mean rehearse a script seven times, but practice. And personally for me, the video camera is my best friend. I don't mean it's the nicest person in the room. I don't mean I enjoy its company by any stretch of the imagination, but the video camera is your best friend who has no tact, no diplomacy. They will tell you exactly what, it will tell you exactly what you need to hear with no filter. So if you got spinach between your teeth, it'll make that loud and clear. So when you're rehearsing for, and you don't have to take your, your whole 10 minute investor pitch and go through the whole thing. You can work on just the first two slides, work on how you open, how you introduce yourself, how you immediately command the room. What's your opening on-ramp attention grabber? How do you make somebody sit up and you know take notice for the first three words that come out? You can rehearse that piece, but put it on video. Watch yourself do it. And if you sit there and you realize you're tripping over your words, then you need to sit down and think about what do I really want to say and get that part down, then move on. It's not about let me script it out first. Sometimes it's the opposite that works well to help you write good script if you're going to. Just open it up uh, to your voice recorder, not to, can be to your camera, I don't care, but to whatever's gonna capture your voice and just talk to yourself. And you'll realize when you then go back and listen, some of it is going to be really good, really pithy, really natural. And it's like, yes, that, whatever I just said right there, that was good. Don't forget that. Good. Transcribe that. And then use that as part of your script because it came naturally. It's, it is you. So it will sound like you again. So it doesn't have to be right and then memorize. Sometimes it can be speak first and then transcribe and then remember. That's a different process, but it has a very different result. You notice that a lot of times when people do have notes, they become too reliant on the notes. Yes. And therefore you say to yourself, oh my God, just email me whatever you were going to say. I don't need to have you read for me whatever you were going to say. So how do people, uh, I guess, wean themselves off of these notes? Is that because the number of times you practice it? And is there a metric for the number of minutes that you speak, the number of times you have to practice? So much of it depends on, you know, how long is it that you're talking? You know, are you, to me, you can give me a topic. If I can put together a few slides, if it's something that I know backwards and forwards, I can, uh, you know, I can talk for an hour extemporaneously and it's, it's not an issue. But honestly, of doing the TED Talks, while I had fun with it, the worst part of the experience was the memorization because a TED Talk does need to be memorized. I'm not an actor. So... I will 
rehearse a program um, plenty of times before I do it, but I don't memorize it. It's always ad lib to an extent. It's always organic. It's always paraphrased. Some stories I'll, I've told so many times, it's practically verbatim every time, but that's different. But the act of memorizing is excruciating for me. I hate memorizing a script and having to say the same thing over and over dozens of times till I got 20 minutes or 15 minutes worth of verbatim script in my head. That's like, memorizing 10 pages of text is awful. Uh, for me, it was. I did it, but I did not enjoy that part of it. So you do have to figure out what works for you. But I think where a lot of people get lost is that they, um, I have a four word secret for confident public speaking. And this is the foundation. It's simply, it's not about you. When people get up there and they present, when the, where the head trash comes in for so many people, whether it's for investor pitches or for presenting to the board or at a conference or you know, whatever kind of meeting, a lot of people freak out if they have to talk to more people than they can count on one hand. But you're in the wrong mindset. You walk in and what are you thinking? You're going in that death spiral of what if questions. What if I forget what I wanna say? What if I make a mistake? What if they ask a question I can't answer? What if I trip and fall on my face? What if this happens or what if the world explodes in the middle of my presentation? I don't know. So, but it's all about how you're afraid of what people are thinking. And the truth is, it's not really a fear of public speaking that people suffer from. It's a fear of public judgment. That's the concern, the fear of public scrutiny. So. When, but if you think about it in the ad, in the, the reality, when you're in the audience, everybody who's on this call right now, when you came on, what was your thought process? I would be willing to bet and feel free to type it in the chat box if you want that you came in and you weren't thinking, all right, she's supposed to be some public speaking expert. Let's see if she can actually live up to what she preaches. Let's see if she practices. Does she say, um, does she say this? Does, does she start over? Did, is she boring? Is she, all right, I'm going to sit here like a stereotypical high school English teacher and, you know, with my, my pen ready to ding her on every little flub that she makes. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to just see if she screws up. No, of course not. You took time out of your day because you're coming in here thinking to yourself, it seems like something that would be of value to me. I hope I get something out of this. I hope I learned something interesting. I hope this is useful. I hope I'm excited about it. I hope she's interesting, Right. Your ideas, to the extent that they are about me, are really all about one thing. We all tune into the same radio station, WIFM. What's in it for me? All audiences are completely self-interested, assuming they're there voluntarily. And frankly, even if they're not, it's about what's in it for them. So you as an audience are coming in here thinking, I, meaning you, want to learn something valuable. I want to get value out of today. So when you're public speaking, your audience is thinking the exact same thing. Your investors, they're not sitting there looking at how bad you're going to screw up. They're going, okay, I've just heard 47 pitches in the last three days. Please entertain me. Please interest me. Please intrigue me. Please, they are rooting for you. Because if you stink, then it's a waste of their time. So they are actually hoping that you're awesome. They're giving you the benefit of the doubt that you're going to be awesome and that it's your lead to lose at that point. They are hoping for you to succeed. So just live up to that. In the end, you have to ask yourself this question. Do I, have in, do I know what the audience wants? Do I know what they care about? Do I know what's going to be valuable to them? Can I give them that? Then just deliver. Make it about them. 
Your job is to make them feel like, wow, I'm getting all the information I need. It's not to entertain them. It's not to make sure that you don't make any little mistake. Put your job as being a provider to that audience. Just give them what they want. Make it worth their while and they will love you for it. It changes the whole thing. I had a, a thousand people in an audience out in uh, San Francisco last spring and I, I brought up a volunteer and that was her concern. I brought up somebody to, to, be, to be coached right then and there. And she, of all things, said, I have a fear of public speaking. I thought, well, boy, did you pick the quite the trial by fire venue to do this in front of a thousand people. And uh, I shared with her this, the forward secret. And I explained to her what I just shared with you. And I said, what are your thoughts about that? And she actually said, well, now I feel kind of stupid because I can totally do that. And, you know, of course the place burst out laughing, but it's all mindset. It's not about you. It's about them. Give them what they need and they will love you for it. So we're going to circle back to that um, and the best approaches and so forth. How can a business leader use speech to influence the market to buy their product or service? And I'm not talking about the stock market. I'm talking about the people that they're trying to get on board. Because if you think about it, uh, there are so many different choices out there. Like in consumer products, there are 12,000 new products that come out a year and only a couple thousand end up making it. There are you know, so many services, even like yours. How do you possibly use speech in order to differentiate yourself in the marketplace and convey your message in a way that people will want to pick up the phone, especially after this session, and want to engage you? I mean, so much of it has to do with what are you selling, right? Is it a product or a service? Is it B2B, B2C? Uh, you have to know who your audience is and know what level you're going to be connecting with. But for me, when you know who your direct audience is, I mean, I think you have to be good on video nowadays. That's, it's not just a, a temporary COVID-19, okay, holding pattern until we can go back to business as usual. Being good on video is the new normal for now and moving forward because your ability to connect with people on a screen this big is going to be your brand, your personal brand and your organizational brand, whether you're an employee or whether you're the founder, it does not matter. So the, the ability just to convey the words in the delivery, whether it's in a 30 second sizzle reel or advertising kind of video or a virtual investor pitch, you have to get your video presence down. It's not hard, but you do need to be aware. I've been doing a series of videos on, uh, of webinars on this for the last couple of weeks on just running an effective video conference, uh, raising your, your confidence on video conferences, little things like your camera angle changes so much. I mean, look at this. So you're listening, you're watching this video right now. What would you say if I ran the rest of this interview or if I participated in the rest of this interview like this? Just by this camera angle difference, all of a sudden, I look like Mr. Potato Head, you know, just sitting here on the tabletop. <laughs> this, is, this is not a position of power and authority or, or leadership. This is, I look small, I look like I'm hiding. Who's watching for me? <laughs> it's not effective if I'm trying to convey that I'm the authority on leadership. It's antithetical to what I sell. So just by, the, and here, we'll do this activity together. If everybody out there wants to play, turn on your video uh, so you can see yourself on camera if you're not already on camera. And everybody then just hold up one hand. Come on, play with me. Hold up one hand. Do this. Okay, now put your fingers on top of your head and adjust the screen so that the top of your screen reaches your index finger. 
that's where you own the screen. Remember what we talked about in the first, uh, the three C's of, of effective leadership communication of vocal executive presence, command the room, connect with the audience and close the deal. Number one is command. If you're not in the room together, you need to command the screen. And that means you have to take up the whole screen. Most people draw this invisible line across the middle of the screen and they, whether you're taking a selfie on a family vacation or otherwise, they only take up the lower half of the screen and the rest is ceiling or sky. I have to start laughing because that's what my girlfriend said about me after I did one of these sessions. And she said, you look like Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> and so now I have a computer stand uh, that I put this on in order to have that gap so in tip there. tip it down a little bit for you so we get more of you and more body language. Because you want people to feel like you're there in front of them. You don't just want to, people to be constantly conscious of the fact that you're on video. So if we were sitting at a table together, you know, you'd see people from the kind of mid-torso up, not just the face, you know, this gigantic face in the middle of, of your screen. So this helps people to forget that you're distanced by all this stuff. So the, the ability to make people forget of the separation. To make people feel like you're right there with them helps with that second C, the ability to connect with your audience. So, you know, all of this it is about public speaking and is about leadership and it is about can a speech as a business owner, connecting with your audience, your, your demographic, your clientele, whoever it happens to be, your investors, advertisers, sponsors, you have to be good no matter what the medium. You can't wait until you're only face-to-face. -face. If you haven't mastered this, you're in the wrong century. Well, you know, the video has really been coming on since Nixon ran against Kennedy. And yes. Nixon was way ahead of Kennedy. And when they watched them on TV and they watched Nixon sweating, it changed the whole thing. And he ended up losing by just 100,000 votes. But that changed the course of history at that particular time. Yes. But if there had not been video and Kennedy had not been telegenic and also very comfortable in front of the camera where Nixon was exact polar opposite of him, yep. world history would have changed right at that particular moment. Correct. And, and I think that also impacted the last election as well. And I'm going to ask about that, um, about the differences in people's uh, styles sure. and so forth. But one of the things I wanted to know was Elon Musk seems to be one of the greatest salespeople on earth. I mean, his car company is worth more now than the next two major car companies by like twice as much market value. And he only sells maybe like 10% of what they sell. And he's also convinced people that he can put people on Mars and he can get people to travel quicker. So what have you ever observed Elon Musk and can tell us what is it about Elon Musk that he is able to convey in a very confident way that people should absolutely trust him and buy into his vision. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna defer a little bit in that I really have not spent a lot of time watching him on video. I've read a lot, but I have not watched him per se. So I can't analyze the, the video uh, the way I'd like to. Um, that being said, money does talk a lot also because he's Elon Musk and because he's been as successful as he is, there's automatic credibility based on the number of zeros in his bank account left of the decimal point. So people, if you are already, if you have that platform, if you have that, that reputation, people just give you the benefit of the doubt that whatever you say is gold. So you don't even have to necessarily, there are a few people out there who don't have to be particularly good orators. Um, just because their reputation is so strong, it speaks to themselves uh, for itself. Um, 
I wish more people didn't rely on that necessarily, but there is auto credibility in having that kind of financial success already. So let me circle back now to the presidential election. So regardless of whether you like President Trump or not, you right. often hear people who like and admire him and say they trust him and feel it's very straightforward. What does he do well that captures people's attention? Let's stir the politics out of here. He is a good communicator and has been doing this for a long time. He's a brilliant marketer. So again, all politics aside, and I have done a series of uh, commentaries both on, on television and just on LinkedIn and wherever else uh, with regard to the uh, Democratic debates, the, the primary debates going on. And again, I don't comment at all on people's content. You can say the moon's made of cheese and we need to go mining there. I'm not going to say whether I think that's genius or insanity. I'm strictly going to comment on whether or not I think you were effective and compelling in how you articulated that. Right. So that's that's my only connection with politics. Um, so, you know, as far as in 2016, the Trump-Clinton election is concerned, you know, again, he's a master marketer. He knows, you talk about those three C's, the command of the room and connect with the audience and then close the deal. He is the master of those in a way that Hillary Clinton was not. She didn't have much of a command presence. She was not engaging and compelling. I mean, yes, she had her, her, um, those who loved her for everything she represented and they would follow her anywhere and they loved her because they loved her, not because she was amazing uh, on stage, not because she was captivating. There's a difference between having a captive audience and having a captivated audience. A captive audience is someone who's shackled, they're stuck, they have to listen to you because they're stuck, somebody dragged them and you're not allowed to leave till they're done. But the captivated audience is someone who is feels, feels compelled to continue to listen. They want to hear more. And even if you think that uh, President Trump's speech is every time he opens his mouth, it's a train wreck. There's something about it that just makes you go, oh my God, I want to look away and I can't. I want to turn it off and I can't. There's, there's something compelling about that. There's a command in that. There's a charisma in that. And understand that the nature of the word charisma is not necessarily the televangelist sense or not necessarily the, you know, super Tony Robbins, big, larger than life. You can have a very quiet charisma, but it's still that magnetism, that, that je ne sais quoi, that makes people feel compelled to keep listening, even when they could technically get up and leave or turn it off. And he has that in a way that she does not, in part, just because of his ability to believe everything he says, regardless of what the fact checkers will say. Congratulations to everyone who has made So was that you who? No, so I, don't I hope know, Mark, everybody you, turns off uh, their mics. You may, Mark, you can uh, go to the participants. Yeah, I did. You did, okay, and read, there we go. All right. So, you know, I saw Hillary actually in person in Philadelphia when she won the Constitution Medal. And I was actually surprised at how charismatic she could be. Uh, and I kind of felt like during the election, I never kind of saw that. I felt like she was so overly rehearsed in everything that she said that she didn't come across as authentic to me. And um, I don't want to say who I voted for, but it was a woman in pantsuit. And uh, so why was that? You know, what happened to her and what could her people have done better with her? Um, so if, to the extent that anybody is really interested in this topic in depth, um, on my website, on the resources page there, um, I did a, I was on a speaking circuit for a while back in 2016, um, looking at exactly the Trump-Clinton 
debate series and just talking about what each one was done. It was, it was called Finding Your Fans or Fanning the Flames. What Does Leadership Sound Like? And it was strictly an apolitical analysis of their debate performances. Uh, so, and it is recorded on, so I did do a recording of that at, at one point, I was speaking at an organization. So um, you can find that full video and see the, the whole analysis there if you'd like. But the, the simple fact, on the whole was that among other things, um, one of the things that he did brilliantly that she totally missed the mark on. And I've been talking about all the Democrats this time around, they're still missing the mark and assuming it's Biden this time around, unless he gets this straight, I think it's going to make him miss the mark as well is his uh, president Trump's ability to do what I call tweetable and repeatable soundbite messaging. So, it's that whole, you know, can you get to the point? Can you tell me what your primary campaign promises are? And he, again, love him or hate him, if you think back to 2015, 2016, and what his big campaign promises were, you can probably recite a couple of those little mantras, those refrains. Mark, can you recall what any of them were? I oh, you mean to make America great, that type of thing? Yeah, make America great again, sure. Yeah. Easy one. Yeah. Build a wall. Yeah. Lock her up, drain the swamp, you know, three, four words at a time, but they're huge concepts and they're results oriented. They have action verbs attached to them, right? Make America great again, build the wall, drain the swamp, whatever it was, you get it. And you either loved or you hated what they represented, but you got it crystal clear. And they were single, you know, polysyllabic words. This was not you know, sesquipedalian graduate school dictionary swallowing speeches. This is stuff that people could hear, understand, remember, and then evangelize for you because they would recite it the next day, whether to say it was awesome or to say it was the worst thing you ever heard. It didn't matter. People could talk around the coffee pot at the office the next morning and remember exactly what it was. But Hillary Clinton was not able to do that. What's the one refrain from Clinton's campaign at best? And I've trained rooms full of Democrats and Republicans. Everybody remembers the Trump slogans. Nobody, including rooms full of Democrats, can recite anything from Clinton's campaign except stronger together. Maybe I'm with her. Either way, what is the actual and or implied verb in that phrase? To be. We are. Stronger together. It's a status an existence. It's nice. It's a condition through which something else may or may not get done, but we don't know what that something would be. It does not tell me what you're going to do for me and for my country. And no one could tell it. There are those who can talk all around it if you happen to really know what she stands for, or mostly you'll just recite democratic platforms in general, or why you hate Trump. Either way, you're not going to be able to tell me actively what she would do. She failed miserably to convert the fence sitters because they couldn't tell you what she was going to do for them. And he was perfect in that ability. And he's going to do it again this time. So if Biden or whoever replaces him does not get their act together, any fence sitters are going to have a really hard time explaining why they would vote for him or her or whoever shows up as opposed to just against Trump. And that was the other thing that Clinton did wrong in 2016. She backed off. She was afraid of email discussion. So she really hid and tried to give Trump just enough rope to hang himself hoping he would hang himself in on camera. He loves the camera and the camera loves him. And it did not work to her advantage. So, uh, so you talk about in your book, what makes speech influential? 
which is a chapter in your book. What does make speech influential? <laughs> Everything we just discussed, uh, number one, but um, I think one of the most critical works, you know, frame of, frames of mind that you have to think about is who's my audience? What do they need? What do they want? What do they understand? How much detail do they need? What keeps them up at night? You know, what's their bottom line? Can you make your pitch, your explanation, your whatever it happens to be understandable in a way that hits their core? And if they, if they feel like you understand them through the way that you're talking to them, then they are more open, willing to, and able to understand you. But that's, and that's half of where conflict comes from, right? You're, you're head to head with somebody and what are both people implying through their argument? You're not listening to me. You don't understand me. People want to be heard and understood before they are willing and able to listen and understand. And that's, you know, the, the, no, you people, blink first. That's a tough thing to break. A lot of people feel that I'm not born to be a good presenter or born to be a good speaker. So what do you say to those people and how do they make themselves? Because look, today, and I taught like you did at university, I tell my students who say, oh, I'm not a good presenter, I'm not a good speaker, uh, I, I would be terrible at sales. But I said, every day of your life, you're selling somebody on something whether you're convincing your parents to allow you to buy this particular toy for you, or you're convincing your significant other about the furniture that you should buy, you're convincing your boss that you go and make and uh, take on this new project. So what do you tell people who think that they, they weren't born for this? How could they become good at it? Uh, so if the this is persuasion or the, the, what is the this specifically? Well, I, I mean, I think a lot of people feel uh, persuading and influencing are the same thing. So, and maybe you, and maybe you uh, position them differently or describe them differently. So, and, and you can do that now. Sure. So, you know, persuasion is a verbal act. So, I mean, it can be nonverbal to an extent, you know, I could put a gun to your head and persuade you to, to do something or not do something. But for the most part, it, most people think about it in terms of verbal argumentation to make someone change their mind and thus change their behavior. Um, influence is bigger than that. The persuasion is the momentary act, but influence is more, is longer lasting. Influence can, you don't have to be in the room to have influence. If you have persuaded somebody, if you've sold somebody on your philosophy, if people have joined your company, they've gotten on board, invested in whatever else, uh, they're, they're now your employee, because they love what you stand for, because they appreciate what you, the way you run your company, that they would follow you to the ends of the earth. You don't have to be present for them to do things the way you'd like them to be done, for them to go out of their way for you, because they already are connected. The influence is much more lasting and permanent, or at least potentially permanent that way, um, not just the, the momentary discussion. So how do you work on voice and I think also physical, physical appearance? Because I think that, you know, how you carry yourself uh, means a lot. And, and, and by the way, there have been people who have been all sizes and shapes that oh, have yeah. managed to be successful. So you don't have to be Hollywood good looking because we've seen people who have risen to the top not be that. So what's your advice to people when you're talking to them about both voice and physical appearance. Well, as far as physical appearance is concerned, you, you, you can't be apologetic. 
for what you look like. If the first thing that you show up and what you project in that energy is that you're uncomfortable with your size, you know, vertical, horizontal, or otherwise, or you're uncomfortable with whatever it happens to be, people will sense that insecurity. So you have to walk in there like you own it and that you're happy with yourself. And frankly, you have to be happy with yourself uh, for others to be happy with you, but that goes with any relationship. Um, Again, use, using the video camera is an easy way to see what you're doing that you don't even realize. And starting you know, almost with uh, the video this way uh, and being good on webinars is a, almost a, a, a shortcut starting because you only need to worry about what you're projecting here. You're not standing in front of anybody head to toe where they're watching other things and nobody can see how big your feet are. Nobody can see how tall you are. If I had to be six feet tall, if I, you, you could only be successful by being tall, I'd be doomed at that point. Uh, you know, I'm five one on a good day. So uh, it's where the video is the great equalizer as far as that's concerned. But that's also why you have to be good on voice. And again, you look, your voice is the instrument that you're born with. I will never sound like James Earl Jones and I will never sound like Elmo. I mean, I might be able to fake or pretend for just a moment or two, but my voice is what it is. There's a lot of people I hear who are unhappy with their voice. They think it sounds too squeaky or too this or that, but it's the bigger problem is how you're using it. So things like when you're doing the investor pitch, I, I find so many people are so concerned about being, you know, getting it done within the allotted amount of time and just trying to remember everything that there are certain major pitfalls that are, vocal traps that will sabotage the investor's ability to get it, right? Those three C's that sabotage your ability to command the room and to connect with the audience. And that of course influences your closing the quite literal deal in that case. Number one, run on sentences. Most people it's like, okay, ready, open mouth, turn on fire hose. And they just ramble and ramble and ramble. And it's like, well, I need to talk about this. And I got to tell you this. And I got to tell you this. And I got to, oh my God, stop talking. If this were a paragraph, please tell me there would be a period somewhere in the middle and not just a giant list of commas and ands with a period somewhere on page three. Right. Similarly, people who are listening need to hear a period. So you need to let your voice drop at the end of the sentence. That's your vocal period. And then inhale, take a breath. It doesn't have to be a long two, three second pause, but I just need to hear that there's a space between the end of sentence one and the beginning of sentence two. That way the listener has a chance for their brain to catch up with their ears, process what you've said, and then move on with you. But the rambly run-on sentence, that sounds anxious. That sounds insecure. It sounds like you're scrambling. It sounds like your adrenaline is running away with you. You need to be able to talk in pieces to make sure, and I don't mean chop, 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 but I do need to hear the periods. That really shows authority and confidence that I know exactly what I'm going to say. Here's the first point, and here's the second. So that conveys a different kind of authority and no one will care if you're a soprano, alto, tenor, or bass. Hey, what do you do? And I've seen this happen from good presenters. There was a, a woman entrepreneur who's well-known in the region. She's a good presenter and they accidentally had the wrong PowerPoint with her and she became unglued. Um, I mean, she went from like going to win this business plan competition to definitely not winning it because she became unglued and started getting upset and, and start saying we have the wrong PowerPoint presentation and, and so forth. What should she have done? Oh, that's when you tap dance and you flex. You just got to go with it. You cannot say, well, the tech is going to control whether or not I'm 
capable of anything or whether I come to pieces. Was it, was it, there was a Samsung, gosh, what was the trade show? Michael Bay, I think, was, uh, oh shoot, I have to find it. And I'll send you the link, but it was on, it's on YouTube. It was great. He uh, walked out on the stage in the big trade show, was ready to demo whatever the new thing was and the, power, the clicker wasn't working or the PowerPoint wasn't coming up and he just stood there in this awkward silence. It was like, anybody? And about 15, 20 seconds worth of silence went by and then he just walked off stage. And that was wow. that. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Talk about not Steve Jobs. Yeah. Um, so, but at that point, what, so what do you do? Look, I've been in places where uh, I was talking at uh, Vanguard a couple of months ago, I mean, a couple of years at this point, and um, had an auditorium full of a couple hundred people. And somewhere in the middle of my, of my PowerPoint, I don't know what happened with the wires. Um, I had my laptop connected to their system and it went apparently it just shifted. And instead of seeing my PowerPoint, they just saw my wallpaper, which was a picture of me holding my then newborn son and just kind of like the mommy and baby picture. And I only knew it happened because all of a sudden the audience went, oh, and I'm thinking they're going, I don't remember an all point in my, and then I went and meet my baby. Yeah. So you yeah. Know, we talked and I was like, can we get an IT person? And then I had the tap dance for about, you know, two minutes until they figured out what, what happened there. But I turned it around and I said, you know what, since we're talking about leadership communication, let's make this a teachable moment. What happens when this goes? I could fall to pieces. I could run off the stage. I could make everybody paw. But, and so I turned it around and I figured out a way to make that work in my favor. Similarly, I did a dinner at a, at a rotary event where I was the, the keynote speaker. They had done it in this unique restaurant that was some converted old God knows what. We were in this huge room and they had brought the screen. They brought the projector. I had the laptop. We set everything up. Um, you know, then as we went, we realized that in that gigantic room converted from, I don't know what the original building was, literally there was not one outlet. Not one outlet in the entire place. I mean, I'm sure somewhere in the building there was one, but we would have needed like a 300 foot long extension cord to find it. And that would have just been one. So it was like, all right, well, I guess I'm gonna project my voice because the mic's not gonna work. And I'm gonna have to be really charismatic and engaging because I'm gonna talk to you for 30 minutes and we have no visuals to go on whatsoever. So here goes. So, you know, as a speaker, you need to know your stuff. Is it gonna be verbatim what you planned? No. Is it going to be, is that, but you know, to the extent that you're willing to step up and say, hey, we're going to make the most of this. You're still going to know about my product or you're still going to understand what I need to teach you. And I need you to know that I buy into this, that I understand it and appreciate it. Again, bet the jockey, not the horse, regardless of who your audience is, the way you can overcome those kinds of things will say so much more about you than just watching you do something perfectly. I think that says a whole lot more. So this is my last question before I start reading questions to you from the chat, uh, from the chat questions. Yep. And that is, is there a difference between genders in terms of communication style? Yes, um, asterisk. I don't, I don't ever like to generalize, uh, you know, one versus the other because I mean, I remember years ago reading John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and even then, thinking to myself, as I was reading, oh my God, I'm such a guy. 
<laughs> the way my brain works. Like I just, I related more. I'm a fixer. Somebody tells me what the problem is. You need to let me know. Are you just venting or do you want a problem? Because my automatic, you know, reflex is to try to figure out a way to fix it. I'm not trying to fix you. I just don't want you to suffer because I'm going to internalize it. I'm very empathetic. If you're upset, I want to help you feel better. So if you're just going to come home and keep venting the same thing day in and day out, we're going to have a problem. This is, that doesn't work here. So what's, you know, gender or non-gender, and this is the same kind of question with regard to intercultural communications, right? What if you're in working with the Chinese or working with the Russians or working with the Egyptians, you know, are there certain generalities we can talk about? Yes. But uh, the, the analogy I, I use with most audiences is, you know, how many of you out there have a sibling? Anybody have siblings? Raise your hands. You've got siblings. How many people have siblings who are so different from you, you have a hard time understanding how they came out of the same womb? <laughs> yeah, you got a few of those. So clearly, and many of them are probably of your same gender. So if that's the case, the same gender and came out of the same genetic parenting from you, it's really not about male and female. It's really not about you know, Chinese versus Russian versus American versus whatever else. Yes, there are general differences, but you have to come down to understanding that much of it is about the person and understanding the unique need, the demographic, the group. You cannot, you should be aware of generalities to be mindful of them, but then recognize that there's an awful lot of exceptions to those rules. All right, here's a question. Where did Laura say she's been putting out content on video conferences? Um, okay, so that I've been running them the last couple, the last month or so for all different organizations. I just did one yesterday for the Professional Businesswomen of California's organization. Uh, I did one also yesterday morning for the Montgomery Bar Association. I've been I'm running one for Ascend, which is a Pan-Asian business professionals group. Uh, so if you're looking to do, and I've run a couple for clients, but um, if you have an organization that would like to sponsor to host and have me talk to your members or to your, your employees about this program. It's a two hour webinar and uh, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Uh, that being said, there's, uh, I can send a link, I'll find it to downloading a, a little summary sheet of what some of the key points were, but Just, the webinar is worth it. You can send it to me and I'll also make sure you get a sheet of all the people who attend and you can also write to them directly. Sure. So the next question is, uh, when you do a video call and you need notes, where in your view do you put the notes so it appears you maintain eye contact? That's that may be directed at me since I have my notes here as I'm <laughs> asking these questions. That's a good question. Sure. So remember that when you're in person, you're not maintaining eye contact with the people the entire time and staring them down, right? That's that doesn't happen when you're live. So you don't have to maintain unbroken eye contact with people in video conferencing either. People expect you to look down, you know, look at certain things. If you're going to write something, you're going to take some notes. You may want to narrate that so people understand, you know, I'm just going to take some notes over here. So when they see you looking down, they know you're not just checking your text messages or something, that you're still engaged. That's, that's worth explicitly stating so that they appreciate that you want to maintain trust and there's no question in mind. But, um, so there's a couple things. So for example, in Zoom right now, one of the things that I will often do to, today, I've got this in uh, gallery view, but for those of you, uh, yeah, actually, if you want to, and people can practice this, if you're in gallery view and you turn off the chat and you turn off any other um, like participants window or something, so you're just seeing the people, and then you go to the bottom of the Zoom window, 
and you raise it up so that you're minimizing it so that you only have a strip of speakers across the top and it's very small, then I would drag that up so that whoever you're going to be looking at most is right underneath the video camera. And that way, when you're talking to that person, it's like if, if you're the person you're talking to is down on the lower part of the screen and you're talking to them here, they don't feel like you're looking at them because they'll only know that if you're here. But if you put their picture right up under the camera lens, then it, you're looking at them, their picture, but they feel like you're looking at them personally because it looks like you're looking into the camera lens. Uh, so that helps. And then you can also move the notes page so that it's right under there. Or you can do it vice versa. You can move the Zoom screen down, move your Microsoft Word or whatever notes you're using up to the top of your screen and then make sure that uh, you're, you continue to scroll. You're not reading down the page, but you keep scrolling it down so that the whatever you're reading, kind of uh, teleprompter-like, is at coming to the top of the page and you're only reading the top line or two. Uh, but then again, for that point, especially if you have a monitor like mine that's you know a 20 whatever inch, you want to minimize it so that your Word document is a narrow um, you know, column of words. You're not reading across, even if it's only on the top of the, the top line that you're reading, you don't want to make it look like you're clearly reading something aside. So if you keep it very narrow, then it's only your eyes that have to move just a little bit. And as it scrolls up, it still looks like you're maintaining eye contact. The other thing is by keeping a little bit more distance between you and the camera, this is also a benefit of being seen from torso up as opposed to just the head. From here, it's a lot easier to see where my eyes are going and if I'm reading something. If I'm back here and I'm looking at only what's up at the top, it just makes it that much, uh, appear that much more like I'm simply looking at the camera. So one of the Drexel students, has, uh, Danish uh, Damani, I think that's how you pronounce his name, has developed a, an app called Ori, and it's to help you with your presentation. Awesome. What do you think of these apps? Are you familiar with them? Um, I've seen some of them, and some of them are really amazing. You know, they uh, some of them do simpler things like just uh, counting the number of ums and uhs, like I just did, and helping you try to be able to count and minimize over time your, your propensity to use those kinds of fillers. Sometimes they will look at body language. I don't know what kind of algorithms they have. It depends on the functions and the, the features and how well they work, frankly. Some of them promise a lot and then don't actually do what they claim. So, you know, test them out. I think it's great that people are creating them. What about what resources uh, would you advise to develop your voice? Depends on what it is you're looking to develop. So things like stamina, for example, it, it's about how you use them. Are you breathing from your belly when you're doing it? Or are you pushing from your throat, which is going to tire your voice out and going to make you go hoarse faster, have to clear your throat, et cetera. Um, even little things like how much caffeine or alcohol do you drink? Those are diuretics that, that dehydrate you and get your voice scratchy faster. Um, making sure that you're hydrated can help. It can be a matter of uh, just trying to keep what's called dropping your larynx so that you're, you're, if you're somebody who tends to push a lot, you're gonna, it's all going to come up through here and then your voice is going to sound strained and sound squeaky and sound tense and it's unpleasant to listen to. So sit into your voice a little bit more to, to make it more resident, resonant and a little bit more attractive, making people want to hear it. That doesn't mean sitting down and graveling out. And frankly, this isn't good for you either. If you're speaking with a lot of vocal fry and it sounds like you've been smoking two packs a day since you were six, you, know, you want to make sure that you're, you're using a full tank of air. You have to breathe. You have to have enough air to allow 
it to come through. So there's a lot of things that you can do. And frankly, the easiest resource I can give you not to do a complete plug, but since we're here to talk about the book anyway, mm -hmm. chapter four, I think is about the voice itself. And there's truckloads of exercises and things to be aware of in there to use your voice in a healthy and an effective way. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to send out uh, the link uh, for your website and uh, ways to contact you and so forth. And so they can watch your videos, hopefully buy your book, all those different things. Yeah, no, it's so, not okay with me, Mark. Don't tell anybody how to get in touch or how to find <laughs> my book. I to no. keep it a secret, but I know, uh, I know those books need to get out and help these people. Uh, what books or resources would you recommend on the topic besides your, besides your own book? Um, well, you know what, you mentioned in the beginning, the idea of being um, a good, getting a TEDx talk. And Carmine Gallo has a series of books. Um, the one major one is called Talk Like TED. And they're all analyses of TED Talks and what makes storytelling such an impactful tool in public speaking and those kinds of things. So I think he's terrific. Excellent, excellent. Is there any last minute things you'd like to uh, recommend to the audience in order to improve their skill set uh, in terms of speaking, you know, whether it may be getting in front of rotary clubs and getting their practice that way or groups that they should join that would help them? Any final recommendations that would help them be better presenters and speakers? Yes. Um, use your video, number one, in any sort of rehearsal. So here's, here's my final tip for you. Uh, it's called my uh, 60 to 60 rule. And that means that even if you don't have time to rehearse a whole presentation, the first 60 seconds, the impression that you make on your audience will set their expectations for the next 60 minutes and what they anticipate you're going to bring in value. So most people feel like, well, the intro, you know, I'll just wing that part. It's just setting the agenda. It's just welcoming people. So frankly, it's sloppy. It's unclear, there's a lot of fillers, they stumble their way through, and then eventually they get in their groove and then they're not anxious anymore, then they're okay. But you've already set the you know, C plus expectation. So if nothing else, rehearse on video that first opening minute or so. Get that down till you're comfortable, till it's easy, till you don't have to guess what to say. And once you can hit the ground running, on that first 60 seconds, the rest will flow more easily. You'll feel more confident. They'll, they'll believe in you more easily from the beginning and it just starts the whole thing out better. 60 to 60. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to all of us today. And we'll make sure we get your information out and especially for people to get a chance to buy your uh, great book. Thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate the opportunity. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks everybody for coming on. Look forward to seeing you in future uh, the best business mind uh, interviews.